You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Now we're going to move into the scripture and the sermon. I'm excited for this sermon that Pastor Bill is going to preach to you. Excited for the next couple of weeks. Um, it's going to be awesome. We're going to be in John chapter 17 today. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, that'd be great if you have it on your app. Otherwise, there are some Bibles back there. Always want to make mention, too, of what our children are doing on Sunday. Um, our children are in a very familiar part of the Bible right now in their three-year curriculum, going through the whole canon of the Scripture, and they're actually at the crucifixion story today. So no more applicable moment for God to do a work in their hearts as it pertains to the gospel than today. So excited about that, and today we're in the gospel of John, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 23. And the gospel writer records, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you, ha- that you gave me to do. And now, Father, Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my full joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that, I, that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Well, I've been really looking forward to this particular, like, two-part message uh, for a long time, and uh, I wanted to preach it outside of this series way back, 
um, and just didn't feel like we were released to do that. And then when we came up with this series, A Pretty Decent Church, it seemed to be very much a part of this series. And so uh, we finally get to bring this to you. Um, I broke it up into two parts because there's just too much that I think needs to be said about this particular marker uh, of a church and to talk about the, the significance of being multicultural. Uh, we'll use terms as we talk about this, multicultural, multiracial. Uh, we'll interchange terms. Uh, they may have nuances to them, but I think you'll get the message of what we're trying to convey to you here uh, about Life Church. Um, and uh, I think this is an important place for us to land. I have for years felt that the church, I'm not talking about life church specifically at the moment now, but the church in America, and this is something that has grieved my heart over years, is I've just seen us growing more and more and more irrelevant. We're not capturing people's hearts. We're not seeing people come to Christ. And we're seeing the world go, and we're seeing um, just such apathy even inside of the church about the fact that people are not coming to Christ. Um, and this is, this is difficult to talk about, and it's challenging. Um, and it, it's an indictment against the whole of church, but even life churches are well. We have found ourselves at times, I think, being less relevant, uh, even though we try hard not to be. And so this isn't a message that is critical. Uh, I'm not trying to be critical of the church. I'm not trying to be, be critical in that sense. Um, I do want to point out some things in the world that are happening, uh, that are going on, that contribute to this kind of thing. Uh, that we see around us where people are divided and, and in conflict and that sort of thing. But that's not what this message is really about. Uh, this message is about you and I and what God would have us do and, and the mark that God would want to make inside of Life Church that would be a message to the world around us. And so that's where I want to go today is with you, you and I talking about uh, what I think is a very challenging piece of the church. Um, Mark Damas, uh, he quotes a gentleman by the name of William Shedd in one of his books, and uh, uh, Shedd says this. He says, a ship in a safe harbor is safe, <laughs> of course, but that is not what a ship is built for. And I think you and I, if we're not careful, we want to build a safe church. But that's not what Jesus redeemed the church for. He didn't call us to be safe. He didn't call us to, to recoil and, and, and find places where we can hide. Or He didn't call us to live in the shadows. He didn't call us to go silent when the message gets tough. He didn't call us to shrink back and throw away our confidence that He has given us in His death and resurrection. And so you and I are called actually as the church to be a voice. We're called to be light set on a hill. We're called to, to be a people that are set apart and different. And we're called not to be of the world, but we've been called into the world. And so the intent of God is to use you and I as a flavor inside of the earth realm. To, that causes people to take note and then causes them to want and to love Jesus and to follow Him. 
And so that's where I, I want to take us today. And I think that one of the, the greatest challenges for the church, I mean Christians when I say the church here uh, today and the day that we are living in, is to develop this ability to provide a relevant witness to a very multiracial and multicultural society. I came to Sioux Falls in 1991. Many, most churches were extremely white. Most churches were, were very much homogenous in a lot of ways. And by that, I mean that everything was the same. And, and from one church to the next, there wasn't so much difference. But there have been trends and waves inside of the church over the last few decades. And, praise the Lord, there's been a great move of the Holy Spirit to draw us back to Jesus and to cause us to be the church that Jesus died for and to live out the truth of Scriptures inside of church life. And, and here's the thing. That might be a great challenge for the church today, but I don't think it necessarily has to be. And here's what I want to say to you as we begin this morning. If our God is not big enough to provide us the spiritual strength that we need to overcome all of these racial barriers in our society, then how are we going to ask a hurting world to come in and experience this Jesus? Is He that feeble of a deity that we cannot be strengthened enough to stand against the current cultural war and when we've done everything to stand, stand and stand firmly and be the people of Jesus, of every tribe and tongue and language and nation on the earth. A number of years ago, I, uh, we had started the church here in Sioux Falls and we had a wonderful and delightful thing happen and that was that a local Hispanic church came over to visit fell in love with us, and decided to be a part of us. And for a good little season, there was a handful of a small home church of Hispanic people that, that walked with us in, in our church. Um, and for me, it was a great time. The pastor was a young woman who had been to seminary, um, and uh, she was just delightful. And I asked her on a Sunday night, I said, would you... Let's gather and would you just speak to us, preach to us, teach us, speak out of your heart to us and, uh, and, and just let us hear your heart. And I had no idea what was coming. And she got up that night, this tiny little lady, her name was Rita. And Rita got up and she looked at all of us in this small church. We were much smaller then than we are now. And she said, and you and Paul will remember this, and, and you'll probably get it better than I can. That's a long, long time ago. And I'm old now. <laughs> she said, we came here for a better life. You thought we came to steal your money. And things like that. Take your jobs, things like that, mess with you. 
but we didn't. We just wanted a better life. She said, the interesting thing is God called you to go to the nations and you didn't go. And so God has brought the nations to you. I was like, wow. And from 1991, when I set foot in this city, believing very much that God had divinely called me and, and my wife, my family, my future family here to plant a church and, and, and to serve in this city. We were called to Sioux Falls. We were not called to a denomination. We were not called to any particular type or model of church plant. We were called to this city, and we felt that call. But in the years since coming here and planting this church, this city has changed dramatically. This city is not the same city. This city is a multicultural city. This city is a multiracial city. And how can we stay homogenous churches in a city that is multicultural and multiracial? If we're going to reach them, we have to be multicultural and multiracial. And so to accomplish this kind of endeavor, we're going to have to go outside of our comfort zones a lot. And we're going to have to be with people from other races and other cultures. And this is going to require a lot of effort and intentionality on our part. And this morning, I'm giving you a long introduction. So just relax and just hear my heart. I'm going to just talk to you pastorally this morning. Uh, and and through, through the end of the sermon today and into next Sunday, I hope that I will be able to lay for you a really solid theological foundation that will not allow you to walk away from this reality that we must be multicultural and we must be multiracial. We're going to have to make a biblical commitment as a church, folks, that we're going to minister to people and with people in ways that may at times seem foreign to us. It's going to be imperative that we die to ourselves at a level that we have not experienced before. And we're going to have to lay down certain preferences that we have held on to and thought that were necessary for us to be able to get close to God. And you know what? we're going to have to be willing to say, you know what? I have to shift here. I've always thought and viewed that I would be a teacher of others, but I've got to realize and humble myself and say, I need to learn from others. And that's where we have to plant ourselves, all right? We've got to make that kind of biblical commitment to others. I'm not talking about a dynamic where we just invite people of color and, and, and people of, of ethnicities to come into our church and we presume that we need to teach them and that we need to help them. No, I'm talking about we need to understand that we are not complete. We are lacking. We are deficient. And we need others to help us to be complete. And they are people who are not like us that are actually different from us. And so we need to be willing to open our hearts to what God wants to do in that way. So we, and now I'm talking about Life Church, we are going to need to discover and to implement some very practical steps 
And that will be down the road here. After we're done with this series, I'm going to come back and visit this again. And we're going to begin to look at what are the practical steps that we need to take as a congregation to be able to be more inclusive of other races and ethnicities. And what are the things that will do to help us invite people into life church? I want us to be a church where people of all races and ethnicities can feel welcome. And they feel like they can be ministered to. There's a very large multicultural church in Arkansas. I don't know if you know about Arkansas. I'm 64 years old. When I was as young as some of you who are college students, high school and college students, um, when I was growing up, I was growing up in the literal days of the Titans, okay? I, I grew up watching the, the segregation and, and the horrible racism of South Georgia. I grew up hearing my family say horrible and awful things about people refusing to understand, refusing to, to let God open their hearts. I saw people do these things in the name of Christianity and even in the name of Jesus. I remember the day in my school, in, in middle school, when the first black young man came into the school and had to be marched in by marshals and, and Georgia Federal Bureau of Investigation officers. And I remember the ridicule and the things that were said to me because I was the one white boy that reached out to him. And I remember walking away from that year of school feeling as though I don't belong here. I, I, don't, I don't relate. I can't understand this. I remember my brother half-joking with me at one point, telling me, you know, it's a good Georgia redneck, looking at me and going, you got to be adopted. You just got to be adopted, you know. Because I couldn't. I couldn't fit into the scheme. And I wasn't even a Christian then. But we as Christians today, we can't fit into the scheme that is going on out there in our nation right now. We can't, we can't walk in those places where people are walking today in America and so we have to begin somewhere, and the place we begin is we go to the ultimate source of knowledge, and that is the Bible. And we put our theological support under us to be able to do what we know we have to do as God's people. And I'm going to tell you that Pastor Dave and myself, we want Life Church to be a church that reflects our pastor's heart, and that is a heart to reach out to every tribe and nation and culture because we believe this is Jesus' heart for the church. We believe that this is God's intent. We believe the Holy Spirit has been and He continues to challenge us to move beyond all kinds of limited racial and cultural boxes that we have become accustomed to, even as God's people. And most importantly, that you and I are living fully the great commission that has been given to us by Jesus himself. 
And that's where we springboard from here. As followers of Jesus, we have to be Christ-like. And I'm going to tell you, the New Testament is just so full of teachings and examples that call us to live in ways that please God. Don't you, don't, don't you want to please your Father? Are, are, are we so indifferent that pleasing our Father doesn't matter to us anymore? Can we, can we not make that the priority here and, and balance life on that priority of pleasing the Father? If we, if we do that, then fundamental to the teachings that we have to embrace is that we are called by Jesus to be united as one in Christ. That's John 17, and we're going to look at that a lot, verse 21. And that we are also to be called, according to Matthew 5, verse 9, instruments of peace. You and I cannot get caught up in what is trying to draw Christians into all of this conflict and, and division and, and judgments and criticisms that we see out there in the world today. That is, that is not where we can land. Our nation right now is so divided. And, and this is not a political message, okay? And I don't know where you stand. God didn't call you to be a Republican. He didn't call you to be a Democrat. He didn't call you to be an Independent. He called you to be a follower of Christ. Now, how you do that in a political arena, that's up to you. All right? But whatever is going on in that political arena that you are embracing, it needs to line up with thus saith the Lord. And so that's where you need to be. And I don't know whether you believe that God chose President Trump to be our president or God didn't choose President Trump to be our president or what you think about President Trump. I know one thing about President Trump. In his administration, the heart of America has been exposed more than it has ever been any other time in the history of this nation. And you know what? It is ugly. It is so ugly. It is vile. It is evil. I'm not attributing that to Trump or any former president or, or anyone else, all right? I'm just simply saying that God has used this administration in this time in American history to expose the heart of our nation, and it is contrary to God, and it is ugly and vile and evil, and there is some demonic forces out there that are rising up in this nation right now and are grabbing hold of not only cultures and groups and, and political uh, parties, and all kinds of things, but they are messing with people in the church. And when the church starts buying into this mess and the church starts getting hooked into this mess and Christians start to step out and take sides and move in these judgments and criticisms and biases and prejudices and all these kinds of things, we have strayed way far. And that's a dangerous place for Christians to dance around. And so it's time for you and I to realize that this just might be the church's finest hour. If we can just get it, if we can get it right, the vision of Christ for unity is also a vision for diversity. 
And it has to start in the local church where you and I are living and doing life. That's where we have to be. And we can't be content, folks, you and I, as God's people, to just build bridges to the community. And I am so guilty of that statement. Oh, we just want to be a bridge-building church. We want to just reach out and, 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 and open the way and people can come. Oh, no, that is bogus. Let me tell you something. We cannot just be a bridge-building church and have something open out there. We've got to go out there, and, and this church has to be the community. We are the community. We are Sioux Falls. We are America. We are this nation, all right? Not as, as political groups identify us or try to shape us, not as pundits, political or otherwise, try to make us. We are the church that Jesus is shaping based on what he has prayed to his Father and asked for in the Scriptures and what he died for so that we might live it out fully and completely. And that's where we have to land. That's where we have, have to sit, if you will, all right? So, so to this end, for a moment, I just want you to consider our mission statement here, it, it's written on that wall out there. So every Sunday when you come in, if you look to your left, you may miss it because it's kind of subtle, all right? But our mission statement is painted on that wall. And it says right there, right, right at the back of us here, that we glorify Jesus. That's, that's the start. That's, the, that's the, the foundational piece. That's where we set our feet first and foremost we glorify Jesus. Now, we're going to do that in a specific, big, tangible way, but ultimately, every aspect of our lives need to glorify Jesus. And so how we are relating to one another must glorify Jesus. And then we do that in this big, tangible way, and that is we make disciples. We glorify Jesus by making disciples in our neighborhood and beyond, all right? It, it doesn't stop, all right? But it does start here. It starts in this place. It starts in this neighborhood where God has placed us. And I don't have time to go through the history of Life Church and how we got here, but we got here because, I th in my opinion, God, God just, like, pushed us and pressed us and drug us and carried us and set it us, and planted us, and all those kinds of things right down right here in a very ethnically diverse neighborhood of our city. What are we going to do with this? Are we going to continue to be a, a more homogenous church? And you say, well, there are colors in the room right now. Yes, there are, but we're still very American, and we're still very Midwest. Are we really welcoming to the cultures around us? Are we really open to someone who is not like us to come into this church and to be loved? Are we going to be ready for the Dahans to bring their daughter from Africa and bring her in here? And is she going to walk in here and go, oh, great, I feel good here? Is she going to be welcomed at that level? I am never going to get through all of this even in two Sundays, cotton picking. <laughs> Oh, um, in a book called Building a Healthy Multi-Ethnic Church, there's a description of what a multi-ethnic church is. It's, a, it's a, a 
quantitative kind of measurement, all right? It says that if you're in a church and 20% of your congregation is other than white, then you are a multiracial, multi-ethnic church, all right? Uh, now, I don't know what the numbers are here today, but if you take all of our regular attenders and you look at that, um, we are right there on the line of being a multiracial, multicultural church. We're not way over into it, but we're there. Now, if we're there, we're there by God's design. We're there by God's plan. And if that's where we are, then that's where we're going. Now, what do we need to do to embrace that? What do we need to do to get around that so that it becomes a greater reality for us as God's people, as Life Church? Um, I think there's a number of things that are going to be talking points as we go forward here. Um, one larger multicultural church has determined that uh, sort of to avoid any confusion of purpose, uh, they not only wrote a statement concerning uh, who they are, but they also wrote a statement concerning who they're not. I'd like to read that for you, and I think this is important as we get ready for next Sunday's message, all right? It reads this way. It says, we are not a church focused on racial reconciliation. Rather, we are focused on reconciling men and women to God through faith in Jesus Christ and on reconciling ourselves collectively, all right, in community, with the principles and the practices of a local church as it is described in the New Testament. These are the two things that they will tell you that are absolutely essential. Reconciling men and women to God and reconciling all people in the church to being the New Testament church. Obviously, we're going to take it that almost everyone in the room here is reconciled to God. But are you reconciled to the plan of God for His church? Are you after your church? See, this is the big, big influence of Western culture into the church to make it a consumeristic experience so you can get whatever you want. No. We are to come and give God exactly what He wants. And in all honesty, God is not overly concerned or even, I don't think, very compassionate about your preferences. <laughs> it isn't about you. Boom! <laughs> it is about Him. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is about Him high and lifted up. 
It is about Him coming again in a return that is going to draw all people together. It is about Him on His throne in the new heavens and the new earth. It is about all people there bowing before Him and singing that glorious song together. And the Bible says they are from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation on the face of the earth. And if we are not a mirror and a reflection of that, we have missed the mark as God's people. Are you with me? Well, I hope you are. <laughs> I'm not going to stop. <laughs> All right? We, we, we have to be able to do this. Reading about various churches that are multi-ethnic, one church talks about they describe themselves uh, they bought a building, um, it, I think it used to be like a Kmart or something, and they bought a building, and of course, the front of the building was all glass, and they kind of toned it down and put some, you know, some uh, paper up and stuff, but if you got up close, you know, you could still look inside and see what was going on inside, and um, one day, they were having a service, it wasn't the typical Sunday morning time, they were having a service and this lady was walking by with her bags of products that she had bought at a store across the street. And she's walking down the sidewalk in front of this big former Kmart that's now a, a church. And uh, they talk about and tell this story of this woman who walks up to the window. And as she does, she sets her, her, her bag down. And then she puts her face right up into the window and she looks in. And she's looking around to see what she can see in there. So she's squinting and she's looking. And then all of a sudden, um, she decides, she picks up her bag and she walks in. And there's a couple of ladies in there and they go, hi! They knew her. They knew her because they shopped at the same supermarket that she shops at. And they kept seeing her in the supermarket and ask her where she was from and how she got to America and one thing and another. And they developed a relationship at the grocery store. And then they invited her to church. So she had this invitation, but she had this trepidation. And they said, you're finally here. She goes, yeah. Looked in the window. When I saw all of you and you're from all kinds of places, and there's blacks and whites and Asians. And she goes, I thought to myself, no, I could go in there and, and I'd be all right. She goes, when I saw you all in here and I saw you worshiping Jesus, she goes, it felt like a safe place. Folks, there are multitudes of people in this nation alone who every day are walking out their door of wherever they are, doing whatever they do, and they don't feel safe. And they don't have an answer. And they are so looking for something. We can be a safe place. We can be a place where people can come. Now, you may, you may have thought that when I started preaching this day that it was going to be about racial reconciliation. <clears throat> We've done that. We've done that in this church in years past. 
We've done it with African Americans. We've done it with Native Americans. We've done it going on the reservation to do it. We've met in different locations with other churches, and we've done this together, and we've prayed prayers of repentance, and we've asked for forgiveness, and we've forgiven, and we've extended fellowship and unity and, and, and these kinds of things to one another over time. And those are beautiful, beautiful experiences, and we may even do some more of that as time goes by and as the Holy Spirit would lead us to do that, all right? But what you need to understand is that is not a primary focus here. Now, don't miss me, okay? Racial reconciliation is, for us, God's people, a most important piece of being in the body of Christ and functioning together, all right? It is a tremendous piece of celebrating together, all right? Uh, it's, a, it's a really joyous part of who we are and what we can do. But it is not the end. I'm telling you that we have done that. And others have done that. And that's a great thing. And we want to continue to celebrate that. But that is empty if we don't make the next step and move into actually being the church of reconciliation. Living this out and opening our hearts and our arms to one another. And for you to understand that difference is going to be important as we go forward, all right? These, these acts of reconciliation, they're important for the body of Christ. But you and I have to dismantle institutional racism and those kinds of things so that we can be a safe place for others inside the body of Christ. And I realize that I'm talking to a lot of you, and, and it, it starts to feel like, well, Pastor Bill, you're talking to, to all of us who are white in the church, and, and uh, you're, you're, this, is, this is kind of a just focus on us kind of thing. No, I'm not. I, I sat in my office at the other building, and I would come out from my office to outside, and I would see individuals, and I, I've talked to, to African-American pastors and Hispanic pastors and other past, Asian pastors here in our city, home church, uh, churches that are in, in other churches and, and part of denominations, independent works. It, it, this stuff hits across the board, and I've, I've talked to individuals who said, well, on our street, if we're Hispanic, we walk on one side of the street, and if you're African, you walk on the other side of the street. Folks, this stuff can invade any heart, anywhere, anytime. I'm talking to all of us. I'm not looking at one color. I'm not preferencing, preferencing someone because of color here. I'm saying you and I, we can do this together. We can come together as God's people. And we can open our hearts not only to one another, but to a community that is not feeling safe. And we can bless them by inviting them in. In Life Church, we believe that when men and women who are diverse in their backgrounds are one with God individually, that's the starting place, then we can and we should walk together. We should be together, and we should do that inside the local church, and we do that for the sake of the gospel. And this is Jesus' prayer in John 17 that David read to you. Verse 21, I think, is the, 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 just the, the, the 
climactic verse, if you will, there, all right? Father, let them be one, just like we're one, so that the world may see and know and believe. This is what you and I are all about. This is, this is how we come together. And I'm going to challenge us that as Life Church, we, we be a church that leads the way, all right? We, we move forward in this in a powerful and, and wonderful and, and dramatic way, all right? I want you and I to become informed by the Scriptures first and foremost, and then I want us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I loved Christina's message last Sunday. In particular, I, I, I told her, I said, you, you preached the Holy Spirit message of all messages last Sunday, all right? There are things that you might not feel you can do by yourself, but you can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so being a Spirit-empowered church, we can move in this direction, and we can open our hearts to one another and to others outside of this local body to love them and, and to receive them and to bless them and to disciple them. And that's what God wants us to do. Revelations chapter 5, verse 9. It speaks about Jesus and it's descriptive of Jesus. And I'm going to close with this today. It says... By your blood, meaning Jesus, okay? By your blood, this is what Jesus did. You ransomed people. I love this. Even in, in translations that tend to be maybe more uh, gender biased, it still says people in them, all right? By your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's what Jesus did, all right? That's what uh, chapter 5 of Revelation says, all right? But then when you move further over, and you got to understand, in John 17, there is a prayer. Jesus is praying over here, and he's saying, Father, I want you to make them one. I want you, we are one. And I want you to make these disciples that are here with me, I want you to make them one together. But then I pray also not only for these disciples, but those who are going to come after them. In other words, that's you and me. All right? I want to pray for them today, Father. And I want to pray that you will make them one even as I am one with these disciples and you and I are one. Make us all one so the world may know. That's way back there in John 17. And my friend, that prayer is just before Jesus walks out and dies for your sins. And all the way over, so we go to the eschaton, we look way over here. When Jesus comes again, and that's where everyone's reminded, you were worthy, Jesus. You're so worthy because over there, and that next day when, when you were crucified on the cross and you died for all of our sins in this messed up world and you were resurrected on the third day, when you did all of that, you did it for everyone because you didn't want anyone to perish. And so over here in Revelation, they're talking about it and they're, they're, they're declaring that you're worthy. You're worthy. And this is why you're worthy because you ransomed, you died over there. 
that day in John 17. You died there for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. You died there. And they were people from every language, every tribe, every nation. And then you flip over to chapter 7, verse 9, and it says, after this, when all these things were done, all right, after this, John the Revelator looks up and he goes, I looked. He was taken to another place, if you will, to see another perspective. And he goes, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes. In other words, my friend, they were redeemed. They were redeemed. And that's the hope and the message of our day is that every single person can be redeemed because Jesus is worthy in that he died for them. We glorify Jesus by making disciples right here, right now, and around the world. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you real quick as Andrew is coming, and Andrew is going to share the gospel with you. Would you join me in just a, a symbolic act right now? In the old Jewish custom, it was quite often seen and observed that someone who expected to re receive something from the Lord, when they prayed or they approached the, the altar, they would open their hands, palms up, with the expectation that I am about to receive. If you're comfortable doing that, would you just do that with me right now? Prepare your heart. Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, in your name, I pray. By your authority, release in us the ability to not only open our palms to you, to receive your anointing and your purpose and your will for our lives, but may we open our hearts and receive your love and your compassion and your mercy. And would you help us that today as we receive from you that we in turn die to ourselves so that you live in us. We no longer live, but you live through us for your glory. Father, would you help Life Church to become everything that you are intending us to be as we determine to make disciples from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language in this city and beyond. And that you would get the ultimate glory, praise, and honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.